Okay, we are recording. Hi. I mean, we already said hi, but we have to pretend like we didn't. So because we just started recording. So hi. <laughs> hi. Hello. <laughs> so we're here. We're Catherine Shackdam. And am I pronouncing Shackdam correctly? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. my married name, but I still have it. Okay. Um and you have a fascinating story. You you single-handedly have completely messed up Iranian politics in the past couple of weeks, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Well, look, I, I, I don't know. I actually, look, I, it's still it's still very, very strange to me, um, you know, just like the fuss um, that was made over my article for the Times of Israel. I'm still trying to unpack, you know, everything and try to figure out what is it that actually irked them. Um, because strangely enough, no one uh, has even bothered discussing what is it that I've written? So it's not it's not the ideas. It's not what I said and written. I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that, you know, I'm a woman. Uh, I'm Jewish. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I wrote for the Times of Israel. And I think that it went kind of, uh, I think it just blew their mind. It was too much information for them to handle <laughs> at one time. Uh, you know, the, no, no, the, no, but seriously, think about this. The audacity of a woman to, you know, start across yeah. that president. I mean, at the time it wasn't. Um, what, but, you know, he, well, he's quite conservative and I just showed up and, uh, uh, you know, without a headscarf and, you know, reaching in the times of Israel of all places. So, yeah. Okay, well, well, let me give some context, okay? And you, I'm going to give a very simplistic version of this just to blow mm. people, people's minds, people who don't know, okay? <laughs> so, so you, you are a UK citizen, right? Yes. Okay. You became a Muslim, right? Yes. You went to Iran. Yes. You got close to the highest officials of the Islamic yeah. Republic of Iran, right? Yeah. You didn't like what you saw after you got no. so close high to the top. Yeah. You changed your mind. Mm -hmm. You left Islam. Mm -hmm. you, and you left Iran. And mm -hmm. you wrote an article for an Israeli publication. Yeah. As you and do. As you do when you leave Iran and you don't like what you see. And then you mentioned that these are a whole these mullahs are a bunch of Jew hating anti Semites that want to get the new can come in. Chauvinist. Chauvinist, Chauvinist as well. <laughs> Chauvinist yeah. as well. Uh, and yeah. They, they went crazy. And you got, you got accused of being a spy. A I know. Spy. Do, do you know the, the craziest part is like, um, and no one picked up in it because I've been, you know, interviewed by, you know, several Iranian media. By the way, they, they're not interested in what I have to say because they're still lying anyway because, you know, they keep editing, cutting. and I don't, I don't even know why I was there doing the interview because they could have spoken to a drone. It would have been a lot faster for them. Um, <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I don't speak Farsi, not a word. So the, And, you know, they had to have translators during the interview. So I'm thinking, I mean, I know that the Mossad is a really good intelligence, you know, service. Uh, but, you know, the, the idea that <laughs> the Mossad would send an agent in Iran, who doesn't speak the language, um, I don't know. It's just, it seems a bit far-fetched, you know, but I'm not, look, I'm not intelligence, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to, I would imagine if I was to run, you know, any kind of uh, exercise or operation, that I would require my spy to actually speak the language. It's a bare minimum, you know. I'd be but, Persian, I think. I think Mossad agents don't pick Jew 
uh, Jewish people <laughs> to go to Iran. <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, look, <laughs> you know, he, here's the thing. Like, if uh, I think that people need to stop, like, the, you know, 007 is a great movie, but you know, let, let's be realistic here. You know, I think in our day and age, with the technology that we have at our disposal, when it comes to you know uh, hacking, you know, certain websites or you know emails account or whatever, I mean, we we have um, we have like there are many ways you know to to get state secrets or to speak to people. You know, you have drone, you have surveillance equipments, you have so many different things. Um, you know, they have Julian Assange. You know, um, they don't need me. I think they're good. Yeah, and you know what? The last thing I think a Jewish spy would do is go openly publish an article for an Israeli publication. No. <laughs> I, don't think that, I think I that would get that given away. I, yeah, yeah, because I, I think that is a thing that um, you must sign somewhere. They tell you, by the way, you know, when you become one of us, you're not supposed to go on television and say, hey, what's up? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's a bare minimum. But again, it doesn't seem to bother them. But here, here's the crazy story. As I don't believe that they, I don't think that they believe their own stories. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's just you know it's um, it's a munition against the opposition. So you have because you know in Iran, it's, even though look in Iran you have many various opposition groups. So you have the regime, you know, with Ayatollah Khamenei and all his patsies, and then you have groups who are a hundred percent supportive of the Islamic Republic system, but who would like to see Raisi gone because they would like to position their own people you know, as close to power as they can and maybe grab, you know, the, the leadership when Ayatollah Khamenei would die, right? Yeah. So all these competing powers are basically using me as a munition against the those that they see as their competition because, you know, they could discredit Raisi and say, what's wrong with you? You don't even check who you give interviews to. She's Western. She, you know, she, she turned out to be Jewish and then she gave an interview to the town of Israel. We look stupid because we look like open you know, um, to everyone because it's so easy to get access to us when they have made, you know, uh, their whole identity, you know, revolves around this idea of, you know, state secrecy. It's impossible to get through. They're so well protected. And, you know, like, and, you know, I showed up and, you know, and had an interview with then our president. It doesn't look good. And then obviously, you know, the government is, um, you know, saying that I'm not a spy um, because I'm not. Uh, they know it, um, you know, trying to redirect the conversation onto something else. It's very complicated. And then you have group outside of Iran who would love to see the regime gone, you know, uh, thinking that I would be awesome as a kind of, um, you know, like, I don't know, kind of, for, you know, the, the horseman of the apocalypse against the regime because I, I just bother them now. And every time that I'm going to open my mouth, Iranians going to go crazy. Well, a lot of anti-regime people kind of also lost their mind because, they don't like anybody. Anybody who agrees with anything that the Islamic Republic of Iran must be with the Islamic Republic of Iran, right? So they're saying the Islamic Republic of Iran is saying you're not a spy because, first of all, if you were a spy, that would be even more embarrassing, <laughs> yeah, right? But and then you're saying you're not a spy. So they're like, wait a minute, they agree. So she must be with them because they're saying the same thing. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, I had, I had, no, actually the question was, uh, they asked me that question because they were telling me you went on the BBC. Right. Uh, and so you said you were not a spy. And then, you know, President Raisi and the head of the Republican Guard came out in a press conference and say she's not a spy. Uh, so you must be a spy. And I was right. like, how does that work? And then they were like, oh. What about if you were spying for both people? I was like, you mean for Iran and Israel? I was like, wow, 
I was Never like, ah. it's pretty impressive. You should say Very yes. Public. That's, pretty That's what I said. I, Last I, night I when got, I was doing research, I got, I got like, skills. You're I mean, I got. Too, <laughs> I know, but I'm thinking. Look, I got skills. I mean, you know, if anyone wants to hire me, um, you know, this is crazy. I mean, how? First of all, how do you spy for booths? How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But but Catherine, you, I don't know if you know this part of the equation, this part of the conspiracy. A huge part of the conspiracy is that BBC is also a secret arm of the Islamic Republic of Iran. So the of fact course, that, of course, and, and so yeah. so is the Queen of England. She secretly yes, works by Ayatollah Khamenei, uh, and she yeah, makes him tea every morning. Of course, and she, she's a descendant of the Prophet. That's also part of a conspiracy. Really. Yeah. Okay, so what about Naftali Bennett? Like, is he secretly a mullah and that, you know, he goes every every weekend, every Friday, he goes to uh, to Tehran to give a sermon? I mean, you know, come on. But anyways, when we're not recording, if you happen to be a Mossad agent, I have been trying to get hired by them for a long time. Like, ev like every live stream that we talk about Mossad, I actually publicly announce that I am available for hire. So if you, I tell you what, I tell you what we could do. We could set set up our own organization and like have our okay. have our all little thing going. Okay, sounds good. You know, like spy spy central or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, so you guys really did you ever come face to face with Khamenei ever? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, did? yeah, I did. Oh my god, I did. What was that like? Crazy because there was like some literally crazy people like screaming and crying as he was walking through and, you know, the guards like kind of pushing everyone away. And I was like, this is like cult, you know, cult of the personality at this most extreme. Insane. Oh, so this was post. So at that time you weren't like Shia anymore? Like were you like still I don't know. At that time, at that time, it actually was the first time I went to Iran. Uh, so I was invited to, the, to a, a conference on Palestine, of all things. I was thinking like, all right. I'm gonna go yeah. see what's up. Um, yeah, so like you know, he he did this speech. So obviously, he came in. People lost their mind. So you saw uh, everybody in, like fa falling and like being like. Oh, you know, they were like screaming. They were screaming right. things in Farsi that I couldn't understand. And someone, I was like, you know, what are they saying? Basically, slogan of the revolution. Uh, you know, right, right. Um, you know, calling him. God, I don't know okay. the. Acting like you know, a god is walking in front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of no, cult of the personality. You know, screaming that he was the father of the nation. You know, these kind of things. Um, and then, you know, he gave a speech, walked back out. People again lost their mind. Uh, you know, trying to touch him. People were trying to just grab hold of his socks. You know, his scarf, anything that they could. You know, that belonged to him. Um, right. And then off he went. And then the head of Hamas showed up. That was fun. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't meet him. He was giving a speech. I was just in the audience. Oh, Soleimani I thought by, was also so, at that conference, right? Hmm? Did you see Qasem Soleimani there? Yeah. Oh wow. I I, I, ha thought... I, I, I have a picture with his daughter. Oh my god! I thought this was the stage. And where and you and, and hang on, hang on. This is not. And this is not. There's someone else in the picture. This Imad Mournier's daughter. Who? Emad Mornier's daughter, the former head of Hezbollah, who um, the Mossad actually oh. killed him. Oh, good job! I, I have, I have a picture. I, I have a picture with her. Hmm? This is good job. Like this is why I want to be hired by them. They know what they're doing. Yeah, um, but do you take do you take pictures with the with the relatives after? No, <laughs> <I don't. laughs> okay, but okay. So, but I thought that at this stage you were still like 
deep into Shiism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you... at the time I was. At the time I was. But do you know these, look, I'm, I'm still... I'm still Western. So, you know, there's certain things. I mean, there's only so far you could go with me before, like, you know, my, my DNA starts screaming, like, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. you know, I mean, educa- I mean, look, education and where you come from, you know, plays an immense role on how far people can push certain, you know, narratives, right? Um, so when, you, when you're sitting in a, you know, obviously, I didn't understand everything that was said because you don't have a translator always. So I was kind of relying on people telling me, like, you know, this thing, this thing, that. Right, right, right. Um, when it was, you know, uh, the time for, you know, the head of Hamas to uh, to talk, um, you know, he was like screaming and he was quite angry. And I said, I speak Arabic a little bit. So I was like, yeah. couldn't catch everything. I was like, looks angry. I was like, what's that about? Um, and they would tell me, oh, you know, he's saying death to Israel, death to the Jews. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's nice. Um, and I think that this is when I kind of clocked on that is not just about Israel as a country and its politics. It's about its people and not just like Israelis. We're talking the Jews in general um, that I have an issue with, like a, like a personal, you know, very visceral problem with, uh, you know, one of my grandfather on my father's side was in a camp and my other grandfather decided to join the, the French resistance and was, you know, um, made prisoner twice by, by the Nazis. He managed to escape. But so this is something in, in my family that kind of like, this is a big deal for us. Like, you know, anti-Semitism and fascism is not fun. Uh, we have a history with it. There's trauma there. Um, so that, that kind of like, it really shocked me. Um, and then when I tried to ask for, you know, an explanation saying, hold on a sec, um, you know, as Muslims, as Shia Muslim, like you keep banging on about standing for the oppressed of the world, you, you know, you keep talking about, you know, the, the importance to defend people's right to religion because you keep crying that Islamophobia is a real thing. And then you quite cool to, you know, basically shit on everything that is Jewish for the sake of it. So was like, I'm trying to understand the narrative there. And another question that I've asked that was never answered is that how can you hold so much hatred towards the Jewish people if 99.9% of all the prophets that you believed in are technically Jewish? Well, I mean, they, they hate Arabs I'm still Arabs waiting well. for the answer, by the way. I'm, I, it's coming. I'm well, I mean, they, they, hate, they hate Arabs as well. Muhammad was Arab. And they made up a hadith where I remember when we were a child in school, they told us that uh, Muhammad uh, said that these people are so disgusting that he doesn't consider himself an Arab. That's all. Like, um, it's, it's kind of also like the, with Nazis and Christian Nazis. Yeah, yeah, right? They, they worship. The but this is the thing. It is exactly, look, if you take any any ideology, push to its extreme, you know, devolves into a form of fascism. Whether it's communism, whether it's Nazism, it doesn't matter what it is. If you take it to its extreme. So if you read, for example, and I've read it, you know, uh, The Governance of the Jurist by Ayatollah Khomeini, because I've read it. You know, on paper, on paper, intellectually, it's quite quite seductive because, you know, he's talking about, again, Freedom. He's talking about, but hmm? it's also very anti. It's also very anti-woman, isn't it? Not, not the actual. You know, the manifesto, like his theory, um, okay. is not. Is actually not speaking of, of of women at all. Maybe, maybe I should have like kind of clocked on that. You know, there was something about the fact <laughs> that he's not mentioning women, but it's it's a it's a, it's a political theory. So intellectually, when you look at it, you're thinking, okay, it's like Marxism. Do you know when someone comes at you and say? 
we want people to share equally, we want to talk about social justice, there's something quite seductive about it. Now, when you know what the implementation of that ideology leads to, the gulags in, in, in Soviet Russia, it's less seductive because you realize that, hold on, like, you know, if you if you force any ideology onto your people without political, without popular consensus, that leads to, you know, it, it's a form of oppression and, and you know, it, it could lead to the death of millions and millions of people. In Soviet Russia, I think that's something that like 10, 10 million people died, you know, throughout the history of, of communism. Um, and I think this is this is something that every ideology has in common when carried out by a very kind of cabal that decides to hold, you know, the, the, the reins of power within within their hands, not allowing for any form of discourse to take place. And, and democracy is basically non-existent. I think I think like it's not I think these religions are fundamentally evil like it's not like yeah. it, it's like yeah. I think I don't think like it's just I think most religious people are really good people but most religious people don't take their religions to their final conclusion <laughs> that's why they're good people <laughs> that's the I problem think, can you imagine yeah. that? Because it's you know if you if you if you take any any religious text and you actually like you know you you go you you apply it verbatim so you believe everything that is in it is God's word therefore it's true therefore you have to do it. It's quite scary. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And They're so you need to ask yourself one. if you don't like the message in its entirety, do you like the messenger, the ultimate messenger? If the answer yeah. is no, leave. I have a question. Um, I did. I'd like I'd like to back up a little bit because I'd like to hear about more how things began for you. Like I was reading that you, part of your journey is you married a Muslim, but he was mm -hmm. a Sunni Muslim. Yeah. And so I'm very curious about what attracted you to Shiism. Um, again, I, I, I read, I read history. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I read everything that I could put, put my hands on when it comes to history. Um, and I was, um, you know, when you read the story of, of Islam and its birth, for me, it made so much more sense. Shia Islam made more sense because it was more cohesive. And I liked the message on paper. Again, a stress on paper. You know, this idea of, uh, you know, standing up for the oppressed and, and uh, defending, you know, the orphans and the widows and, you know, trying to bring social justice and, you know, uh, standing up for people's right to choose for themselves, you know, all this. Of course, it's, it's you know, it, those are universal values. So I was like, OK, I can I can identify with those values. Uh, Wahhabism, um, not so much. I mean, you know, you, I mean, if, if you look, you know, if you look at Al Qaeda or the Taliban, that was I wasn't kind of my idea of, you know, there, there, there was no way that wasn't going to happen. Um, I can't I can't I just can't. You would have, <laughs> it's, it's impossible. Um, so Sunni Islam, I just found, was very um, perverse um, and not, it had been twisted so many times on its head that it didn't even look like, you know, the dichotomy between what the Quran and like, what they were making out of it. It's just, I couldn't, I just couldn't abide by that. Um, so I was thinking, you know, look, if, if I'm going to be Muslim, uh, I might as well just pick one of the interpretations that I think is, closest to what I could, you know, um, bite. And so I, I chose Shia Islam, which basically created so many problems uh, in my marriage, which is ironic because I converted initially to please my husband and I ended up pissing him off because I decided to become a Shia Muslim. 
um, because I was thinking, I don't like your version of it. I prefer the other version of it. That's worse um, than being an atheist for a certain... <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, and it's just, I think I was born to piss off many people because I just don't do things like normal people. It's actually, it's actually very ironic because I met you, You, your goal was to just... I remember even when I met you in London, um, your goal was to just bring everyone together. Um, yeah, I just wanted people to have a conversation because yeah. I was thinking... I Look, I'm a tolerant person. And so I couldn't understand why, you know, if I hold a certain belief, you know, and you hold a different belief, it doesn't mean that we can't be friends. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, have an, intel you know, an intelligent discussion. And I just wanted to make sure that we create a space where people can change their mind. Can I mention, the, can I mention how we met? Sure, of course you can. Okay, so in 2017, like, uh, you reached out to me And we met in London, I think, I, I don't know what you guys call it, under the eye, eye of London, right? right yeah, under yeah, the, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were like, you noticed that we have like an atheist organization and stuff. And you were so interested in like make, creating like a Muslim atheist dialogue. And we were mm -hmm. like, oh, look at me and you. We're the polar opposite of each other because I was born Shia Muslim and I became an atheist. And you were like an atheist who turned like Shia Muslim, right? <laughs> so like, this is great. We could talk and like exchange. And yeah. Can I be honest with you? I was actually scared by your, I was like, I was like, you you mentioned that you, you wanted to set up a debate in Iraq. And I was scared. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be kidnapped and sent to Iran. Oh, so did I was you? Like, no. <laughs> was, no, no, that wasn't my intention. God, no. No, I know, um, I know, but I was scared. Yeah, I just... <laughs> Look, I, do you know, I think by, by the time I met you, I was starting to have kind of like, you know, um, I was waking up to, to great many things. And I think I just, I really wanted to speak to people who thought differently from me because for, for so many years prior to that, I was really like stuck in this echo chamber where there's only one narrative uh, and I really needed fresh air. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of reaching out to people thinking I need I to be, con yeah, I, I wanted to speak to people who were complete polar opposites of me. Um, I think I wanted someone to change my mind, really. Um, really? But, you know, yeah, no, I did. I did, because when I look back, I was thinking, you know, all the things that I've done, uh, the research that I've done, I just really wanted to reach out to other intellectuals and, you know, thinkers and people who had interesting so life. So you didn't journey. think I was, because I was challenging you and your beliefs, and I was thinking, I like, loved I was it. being impolite. Oh, you I did? know, okay. because I was thinking, if because, see, this is the thing. If people like you you know, an atheist, um, you, if you, if I don't accept your challenge, you know, and, and actually force myself to actually really think about what is it that you're asking of me and try to come up with a solid answer, that really exposed the fact that I don't actually have a leg to stand on intellectually in terms of my belief. And for me, that was important. I wanted someone to challenge me because I wanted, for so many years, You know, I feel that as somebody slapped a stamp on me and say, you Muslim, you this and you that. I, I didn't even know if the thing that I believed in were the thing that I believed in. Because when someone keeps <clears throat> telling you, <clears throat> sorry, the same thing over and over again, is it me or is it or am I, or am I becoming a projection of them? Mm -hmm. So I wanted you to challenge me so I could actually figure it out for myself. You know, and I, you know, that you were very helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, wow. I'm going to take credit for that. You oh, were, because, you. you know, it, it forced me to think about, you know, everything that we talked about. And I was thinking, 
okay, I don't like being wrong, but, you know, at the same time, if I am, I think I'm intelligent enough to say, well, fair enough, and change my mind. Because right. if you're not willing to change your mind confronted to hard facts, then, I mean, you might as well just join the fairies and just, you know, live your life in, in you know, in La La Land. No, but seriously. Right. So that was July 2017. When did you, are you an atheist right now? Ah, 100%. The Amazing. whole family, Amazing. by the way. The whole family. <laughs> we all went great. there. So can I, uh, on June 2020, I you messaged me and I didn't see it because w when all of this news came out, I was like, wait a minute. I know this lady. I met that lady. And I was like, no, this cannot be the, this cannot be the same lady. I'm like, is yeah. it like no way? And I went and I'm like, oh my God, it is the same lady. And I saw that two years ago, you yeah. had left me another message. Is it okay if I read the message? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Okay. So I said, hey Armin, how are you? Just a little hello. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the message here because I'm so proud. I'm so that made me smile. I'm so proud that you said, <laughs> you're just like, you know, <laughs> you're being like, a rebel. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey, um, hey, Armin, how are you? Just a little hello. I've seen the article you put up. I don't know which article you're referring to. And you're saying horrible. I can't remember. Okay, okay. He's saying, also, I joined your side. <laughs> I woke up and I'm glad I did. So here's to the Atheist Republic. Wow. <laughs> I, I think I think you put something about religious oppression. Something happened, and it was like it was a horrible story. I, I can't remember exactly what, but something that you posted. Okay. It wasn't was horrible, is it? Like no, 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 no. It's something happened. To, no, I think it was a horrible thing that happened to me. Oh, think, was it? I can't remember. I there was so. something. It's something. So it wasn't horrible, is it? Like you are horrible, or what you? No, no, no. I know. Horrible. It was about something. Oh, no, no. That I happened. didn't think that. I oh, think, good. I, think good. I was describing something horrible yeah. and you're agreeing. That's of yeah. course, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. That's what I, that, of course, that was my impression. Okay. What's your secret? How did you, like, can you teach me? How did you get all to these uh, higher ups? Is it because you're so good or is it because <laughs> they just want, they just like, well, like, this is like, this is so good. Like if we could get like a um, Western looking woman, with a hijab, this is great propaganda. I'm, this is I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Do you know? I look. I, I think. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm Western. <clears throat> a lot to do with the fact that um, Iran's propaganda machine is so starved for Western intellectuals, academics, you know, thinkers, analysts. Um, that That's they are it's true. Look, they need they need validation from the outside. Okay, because right. they are completely cut off, and you know if an Iranian comes out and, you know, talks about the Republic of Iran, <clears throat> obviously whatever he's going to say is expected and so it doesn't have a lot of, like, you know, shock value in the West anyway. So they need people to translate Iran, Iran's message to the West um, and basically act as a little, you know, like soldiers across the world. Mm -hmm. uh, most of that, I mean, most of my colleagues at the time, you know, maybe those who still do it, have no idea that that's what they, they, they are, little soldiers. Um... You know, they think they think that whatever ideas have been put in their head is theirs. I've learned mm. I've learned that it's not. Again, it's this echo chamber, and they're really good at this. Um, you know, and they surround you. They kill you with kindness as well. You know, they tell you that you matter and you're so important and blah blah blah. And yeah, you know, you were being you were being criticized on a lot of like Iranian social media. I would like <clears throat> because you said that. Well, people are like, if you, how come you were wearing the um hijab so conservatively mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. um oh like because... I, I, 
yeah. I heard that, but um, I mean, I don't need to, were... to tell you that. Uh, when you go to okay, Iran, so... yeah, go on. Yeah, when you go to Iran, you have to wear a headscarf. That's by law. Otherwise, you get arrested. Okay, that's number right. one. That's number one. It's kind of a big fat one. But it's... but but, but yeah. the thing is that they're saying that okay, so they're saying that most Iranian women don't wear the headscarf that religiously. Like you yeah. went like yeah, you true. went full on conservative. Yeah. Do you know why? Do you know why? why? When I get why? to the airport, okay, so I had I had a scarf on and I had you know skinny jeans and boots. Everybody was you know they like they were like no 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 you can't do that here and you know they went to the first fedor burka abaya shop that they could find and just slap it on me and said this is what you need to wear when you're in Iran because people otherwise will you know, be insulted. Um, now, when you're in a foreign country and they tell you those are traditions, this is what you're going to wear, I was like, no, fair enough. So I did. I think my my view was that you're, because the reason why you were more religious is because you didn't have the average Iranian woman experience. You were thrown into the lines then. You were, you were thrown into the midst of the most extreme religious circles mm-hmm. of Iran. Iran, like so, obviously you're <laughs> you're not like your experience with Iran is going to be different than mm-hmm. an average woman's experience of Iran. Was it? There, there was. I mean, I yeah, to to a degree, but you know, the the whole reason why I was wearing what I was wearing is because they asked me to. I mean, they literally took me to a shop and said, there you go. And I was like, well, okay. And they were using you as propaganda. So obviously they would not give you, they would not give you a liberal. Exactly. I can't exactly show up with skinny jeans and boots and say, hey, (laughs) you know, it's it's not a good look. (laughs) Wait, I know Susanna has, Susanna, did you want to, because Susanna read a lot of your work and she was fascinated. Did you want to, because uh, I'm not letting her speak. So Susanna, do you want to speak? <laughs> I have so many questions. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I think, so I've read a lot of your writings and news appearances mm-hmm. during this period of your life where you were yeah. very into this ideology. And what I thought was very interesting was um, a lot of it has to do with Yemen, the struggle of the Yemeni people, yeah. and particular opposition to Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And I found this very interesting because obviously the loudest voice of Yemeni Shiism is on the extreme of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very curious about what your experience with that was like. and when covering these issues, if you struggled with that contention of maybe having um, uh, a people or a cause that you're very sympathetic towards, but the loudest, you know, supporters of this cause yeah. are um, in complete deadly opposition to your very nature. A hundred percent. I struggled for years, uh, you know, with that. Um, but then I, the decision I made was, was the following is that I still believe that, you know, um, the Yemeni people deserve to choose, you know, what future they're going to they're going to manifest for themselves, you know, politically speaking, socially, religiously. Uh, I believe that, you know, if we are genuinely if we genuinely believe in international law, we have to accompany them in that journey, regardless of whatever that's going to lead to, uh, as long as it's within the framework of democracy. Um, I believe that is that 
right to, you know, if they feel that, you know, if they if they are anti-Semitic, it is their right. I don't have to agree with it. Um, but at the same time, I'm not one to tell people how to live. I think that anti-Semitism has no place anymore. Uh, but maybe they need to find that out for themselves. So I don't, I'm not going to stop defending an entire people for the sake of a minority um, that is spewing hatred because, you know, the, the 99% deserve to be heard and the crimes committed against them do not, you know, are still there. It's still a reality. So I don't want to not speak about this or speak on their behalf for the right that they deserve uh, for the sake of them hating me for who I am because I am not them. So I just decided to just take that, you know, take the high road. Well, I, I mean, I think for when it comes to Yemen, I, I do want to make sure that the Houthi <clears throat> rebels are separate from the Yemeni people. Like, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And look, this is the other thing too when it comes to the Houthi. A lot of people came in support of the Houthis, not because they agree with the Houthis, but in reaction to the crimes committed by Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. There's right. a difference, you know, and and. You know, I don't want I don't want uh, you know certain you know Yemeni factions or Yemenis in general to be lumped with the Houthi movement um, just because you know they they they're trying to deal with a very complicated complicated situation. So on the one hand, they have you know Saudi Arabia you know raining lead on, on top of their head, and you know on the other side you know they have the Houthi trying to you know tell them how they should lead their life and turn the country into another theocracy. It's a complicated I'm place I'm to be. Turn ch make child uh, child soldiers of, of of the Yemeni people, yeah. Well, so, yeah. you know, unfortunately, the Saudis are doing that too. So it's it's so yeah. complicated. It's that, yeah, it's both sides. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, look, no one is innocent in this war. Um, but so we need to, you know, the, the only the only line that you could really hold to is is that in defense of the Yemeni people because crimes are committed against them. You know, I'm I'm so grateful to for you to do that because the Yemeni war is like the greatest humanitarian crisis of our, mm -hmm. of our time right now. Yeah, and it's is dubbed as the forgotten war. Like it's it's worse than anywhere, and nobody, not that many people, are talking about it. Oh, and, and it's it's all it's, it's all it's all preventable and it's all man-made because yeah. it's important to say that because you know when we talk about a humanitarian catastrophe, people think oh you know shit happens. No, no, no. It was architected. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. starvation today is not necessary anywhere in the world. Poverty is a reality. Starvation is no longer a reality in the world that we live in unless it's architected. And that is important. Now, starvation and disease is actually used as a weapon against children by the Saudi regime in Yemen. Absolutely. In Yemen. That's like absolutely and the important, like on purpose. And, like and the Houthis. They're not innocent. Yeah, the Houthis are doing that too. They're playing the same game. Um, they they're redirecting humanitarian aid, right? Because I'm glad they're that hoping you that, that because... it's true. It's true. Look, this, look, I don't have a lot of love for Saudi Arabia for many things that they do. That said, I w I refuse to blame only one side when the others are doing the same thing. It's not fair. We have to be objective. Thank you so much for bringing attention to that because not that many people are, and you know the only and when the Islamic Republic is doing that, it's not because of the Yemeni people. They do that because they're anti-Saudi. But you're doing it like you're also bringing attention to the Houthi crimes as well. So you're not like mm -hmm. doing what the Islamic Republic does. And also, so mm -hmm. the main culprit right now is the Saudi Saudi Arabia and the MBS. But Iran, the Islamic Republic of no. Iran is responsible. United yes. States is responsible. Yeah. The, Houthi, the, 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 the Saudi definitely started it, 
okay, yeah. in 2015. Uh, but that war has moved into something else completely. And um, to say that this idea of the men culprit today is not true anymore. It's not. not true anymore. Uh, no, I tell you why. I tell you why. Because the way that this war started, it was, it was a preemptive war. So basically, Saudi Arabia had this fear that should they allow for the Houthis movement to grow and grow and grow, they would, um, they would represent a national threat to Saudi Arabia. And so they decided to preemptively go to war as opposed to wait, you know, for maybe another Islamic Republic to take hold, you know, south of the borders and then to have a really big problem on their hands. So that war, in my mind, was started illegally because you can't, you know, you can't play minority reports um, you know, and, and say that, oh, it's, I'm going to justify my military, you know, um, operation on the basis that maybe they could have, you know, at some point presented a threat. You can't do that. Okay. Now they've done it. In hindsight, in hindsight, were they right to talk about the threat that the Houthi represented in terms of the religious direction that they were taking and the political, um, you know, the, sorry, um, how that would evolve on the political scene. Yes, their analysis were definitely on point in that they saw the, they saw the monster in the making and they tried to, you know, to cut its head before it could become, you know, a fully grown monster. So today, looking back, was it illegal? Yes. Did they have a point? Yes. Was this the right thing to do? No, because innocent yeah. people were killed in the process. But now today... If we were to say, should the Saudis stop doing what they're doing in terms of trying to weaken the Houthi movement, knowing what we know now about how they operate within the, you know, the Islamic revolution fold, should we stop them? The answer is yes. Now, am I supportive of this war? No. But is there a real threat? Yes. Yeah, but the, they're, their not, methods they're not the were, they're me Yeah, but, okay, but oh, the their methods. concerns... Yeah, yeah the cons their concerns, being concerned about the Islamic Republic of Iran is always legitimate, but their methods are oh, yeah. the most brutal. Like, I agree. That I agree. And yeah. it shouldn't. It shouldn't. But at the same time, you know, now we, ha with this, we have a big problem on our hands. So what do we yeah. do? So to say that the Saudi are 100% at fault, it's not true. Not, yeah. not anymore. No, I, they I have mean, a I point. They have a point. I did I mean, okay, but Putin also had a point. But like, look what he does with his. Oh, that's another I mean, everybody, story. <laughs> I mean, everybody. I mean, I mean, every every. Here's the thing: every villain has a point. True. Okay. True. <laughs> True. Right. But again, but what they do with that point is the key thing. Again, I, when I said like the Saudis are like the main culprit, I wasn't suggesting like they are 100%. Like, I'm just saying, like, if we're going through the list, there's a big list, like Saudi Arabia, Iran, the Houthis, United States, a lot Hezbollah, of... Hezbollah, Hamas. Hezbollah. Yes, it's a huge list of responsible people. Uh, if I just had to pick, like, okay, who's at the head of the list, it would be Saudi Arabia. I'm not saying, like, they are, like, sole responsibility. I'm just, like, I think, like, we could put them ahead of other people. Like, that's what I mean. Yeah, let, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 do you, did they know that you were a Jew when you were? So, uh, well, that's, that's the thing, because, look, I never made a secret of it. Obviously, my ex-husband knew. Uh, everyone in Yemen knew. Um, look, my last name is that of um, the former prime minister in Israel. So okay. how can you not know? 
I mean, they don't, they don't know. Wait, well, what was your, what was correct. your last? Oh yeah, oh yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I didn't put like okay, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't think they knew, but they didn't, they didn't ask, right? Nobody asked. Um, so I no. don't think I don't think they knew. I think if they knew, they wouldn't be so cozy with you. I think they didn't. Yeah, know. He, no, well, look, if you <clears throat> if you do your due diligence on someone and you check, this is not something that I've ever I've ever hidden. So um, it was, you they know, just never my, asked. My no, they didn't. <clears throat> but my friend, um, <laughs> you know, my friend knew about it. But I just can't. Do you know? By then, I can't even recall anyone asking me. But I I remember walking around, you know, um, the conference on Palestine. And they had only they had only used my major name, so I had literally the, you know the name Pirelli, I mean on my chest, um, walking I, around and with Hamas and Hezbollah around and yeah, and I, I seriously I seriously think they didn't put two and two together like it's not like well, they knew and didn't I I I I, I seriously <laughs> think they wouldn't be this welcoming to you if they knew, either they would be okay either they would okay. Either they wouldn't be welcoming to you, or if they wanted to be welcoming to you, even though you're a Jew, they would highlight the fact that you're a Jew to be like, yeah, oh my they, God, they, yes, because a- because um, do you know at the, at the conference in Palestine, we they they had members of the Netroi Carter. I don't know if you heard of them. The Not. the people who think Israel shouldn't be a country, but still Those guys. Jewish. So, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they they know how to use the Jews when it's in their you know in their interest. But you know, again, yeah. they were like they were very much they were highlighting the fact that they were Jewish. Um, but if they knew you were you were like that, they would want to <clears> you to come and say like, okay, you're a Jew. To make an art, write an article about why Israel shouldn't exist or something like that. That's no, what they, they would want you to do. Okay, so they didn't know. <laughs> no. Wait, are you gonna write a book about this? All yeah. Of this? What All is it, it going to be called? I don't know yet, but it's going to be a title I don't like. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. It's just, I think, well, actually, it's not going to be just one. I think I need to write several books because I want to cover different aspects of it. Um, can we, Can you come here and, like, talk about the, your books every time you make a new book? I would love to. Um, I, I, I need a publisher right now. So if you know any. Well, I self-published, and I became a bestseller, so consider doing that. Okay. I might just do that. I and might the, just but yeah, I would definitely. There you go. But I would definitely look. I, it, it needs to be said. I mean, initially, I wanted to write about you know um, my experience as a Jew in the Middle East um, and talk mm-hmm. about all that. Um, but I think I need to make maybe a series of book and really get into details because there's different aspects you know that I want to talk about. I want to talk about women in the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about you know Islam's relationship with women. I want to talk about many things. That oh, actually wait. brings oh, up yeah, my next yeah. question. So in your um, piece in the Times of Israel that you wrote last November, one thing you briefly touch on when you talk about, you know, your experience in Iran is you developed this feeling of um, the sense of Islam's disdain for women, to use mm-hmm. your words. But you yes. don't really detail that in your piece. And I really wanted to pick your brain about what yeah. you mean by that. Okay, so, you know, I, first of all, I have, I'm going to be writing for the Times of Israel. So, I'm, you know, more articles will come and I, I will talk about those things because I think that it's important. But I kind of wanted to, you know, sound a little bit, was a bit of a teaser, really. I would, I would just wanted to see, you know, what would interest people. So it was kind of, uh, you know, before I read the book, I kind of wanted to have a feel about what people, you know, were interested in about. Um, so, yeah, again, I think there's a, there's a really huge dichotomy in between what is it that Islam says, uh, what is it that cleric, 
claim Islam says and the reality of Islamic society. Um, and even though I know that Muslim will tell you like, you know, um, high and low, that you held women in high esteem, giving you many examples, uh, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit because ultimately as a woman, you have the right to shut up. You have the right to be a good wife, stay in the kitchen, bake brownies and uh, do not have an opinion that in any way, shape or form could be considered, you know, outside the box. So you should, you should not question, you should not um, have ambitions, you know, of your own outside, you know, being a good mother and a good wife. Um, and it's, it's such a complicated relationship that Islam has with women because it needs women, obviously, because you know, they're part of society. Um, but they kind of reduce to the state of a commodity. And I know for many, many years I've said that it wasn't the case, but it is the case. Um, if you look at the way, the simple fact that to this very day, you know, in several countries of the Middle East, um, you know, notably Iran, it's okay to marry a nine-year-old. I have a problem. It, it's 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 um, it's not only abusive; it's repulsive, and it's 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 pedophilia. It's legitimized pedophilia. Um, you know the fact that women cannot divorce that you have to go through a whole system. Like, you know, they can't just say, I do not, will not be married anymore. Like they have to give justification. Like, what is that about? Um, the fact that women's testimonies, uh, you know, are not considered that equal of men, that you need something like two or four women, I can't remember, you know, to be the equal of one man. Um, the fact that a woman yeah. cannot be a judge too. Um, the fact that many things, women cannot travel without permission of their husband. Um, you know, they, they don't they not they don't own their own they, they don't own themselves. They don't have a, to, the right to decide, you know, their future. And if you do, you become a, a pariah, you become, you know, an apostate. Um many women actually leave Islam because they can't bear it anymore. So it's not so much that they don't believe in God, it's that they can't stand the religion they live in because the religion they live in is putting so many limitations. Um and you know, to the point where you denied your own humanity. You have to exist for your husband or you know, a male you know, um, family member. It's, it's, it's insanity when you think about it. This is the 21st century. Like, no, I'm sorry, but no. And there's a great fear, you know, this, they fear, the second a woman tries to uh, empower herself, or actually stand on her own, they are petrified and they will systematically go after your character. So calling you a whore, telling you that you are, you know, you, they're trying to just shame you and, and to isolate you from your family and your social circle. So you would feel so very alone that you have no choice but to re, rejoin the fold. They bully women, basically, into, into um, you know, um, observance. So they force them to comply with their wishes. But there's, there's no room for women to move. There's no social fluidity in Islamic society for women, uh, unless you become, you know, um, a, a teacher and, again, peddling whatever propaganda cleric have, have set for you. Uh, but to truly stand on your own as an individual, individual with the right to challenge, you know, um, the status quo, no, you can't do that. You're not allowed. I mean, they will yeah, kill I, you. Absolutely. I thought it was really interesting and really poignant the way that you said that your experience showed you the extent to which um, you're made to disappear into your husband's mm -hmm. identity. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happened to me. It's it's yeah. my own personal experience. It might not be, you know, um, 
everyone experienced, but it was certainly my own. So I, I, I felt, yeah, I had to speak about it. Yeah, that the only identity that you're allowed to have is that mm-hmm. of your husband. Is that what you mean? Exactly. I mean, Very look at me. Um, you know, the. I think that that's the, it's, it's one of the great many reasons why I was allowed to, to move in Iran the way I did is because they just saw me as an extension of my husband's identity. To the point where my last name meant nothing. I could have walked around and be called Cohen or Levi and they would have been cool with it because all they saw was my husband. I was the woman. No, but this is true. You know, and, you know, if, I'd, if I had been a man, I think things would have been very, very different. And I think it played in my favor, too. Because they, could, they didn't see me as a threat whatsoever. They saw me as someone that would easily manipulate it. And so they could use me. And so they were not as cautious with me that maybe they would have been with a man. So and now they, you became their nightmare. And now you became their, night, <laughs> their biggest nightmare. <laughs> this, is, this is what happened when you educate women. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> But I you don't know also, if people understand that you what you did. Like I, I don't know if people who are gonna watch this because it's gonna be an English speaking audience. Like you have like you for the past two weeks, like you have caused a lot of chaos. Um, mm. a lot of people f- in Iranian politics and people are just trying to figure out what went wrong and how did this happen. So it's but that's the thing. Uh, that's the thing. Like, what went wrong? That's that's you know, this is the question. I'm still not I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. What exactly went wrong? What is it? You know, if you look at it rationally, what is it that happened? A political analyst went to Iran to interview the man that would turn out to become the the president of a country. What is so like? What is it? What is it about that story that irked Iran so so very much? Other than the fact that I am a woman and that I am Jewish. That's it. So do you, you understand? Them. No, no, no that you played them. That's, no, I didn't. They, that's what they think. They think you played them, and they and also play them how? Here's, because here's what the biggest, is it that I said? The biggest thing. The biggest thing. You left Shia Islam. Ah, uh, well, maybe. Listen. That's maybe huge. if if their clerics were not who they are and behave the way they do, maybe things would have been different. So, like, Just okay, so for somebody to come, for somebody to go as high as like being celebrated as this Western woman who converted to Shia Islam, got so high up, like saw Khamenei, mm-hmm. right? You know, and like had these great interviews, was given so much access for mm-hmm. her to come out and be like. Screw Islam. You guys are a whole bunch of anti-Semites. You're a bunch of misogynists. You know, misogyn- Not just that. And, Hypocr- and this is like... Is the hypocrites. Huge- the hypocrites. Yeah. Everything that they say, you know when they talk about morality and ethic? I call bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're, oh, yeah. But to them, this was like... This is so embarrassing. You Like, I don't know if you understand how how much you've embarrassed them. This is like a huge PR problem for them. You you are a major PR problem for them. <laughs> well, maybe, look, you know, maybe, maybe they should have like a little bit of self-introspection and realize that maybe they should do better. Because, I mean, look. That's not going to happen. Well, no, I know it's not going to happen um, because that would require some critical thinking on their part and that's not going to happen. But, you know, there's something very wrong. No, but seriously, like the message, the message in itself is not even the problem because I mean, Islam is Islam. You know, people believe or don't believe. But, you know, in essence, the message is the message of all other religions. It's, you know, 
Um, they're all a problem, I think. But yeah, they are all. A, look, we could get into this. They are all a problem. But at the end of the day, if people want to believe whatever they want to believe, I'm okay with it. Just don't force oh, yeah. it onto me. You want to believe yeah. in the comfort of your living room, and you know that that's fine. That's absolutely. I mean, I'm 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 allowed to to believe in Tinkerbell and you know Peter Pan. That's cool. <laughs> no, but seriously, like it doesn't matter. People believe what they want to believe. If it makes them feel happy, and um, that's fine. But they don't even I, believe what they say. This is my problem. It's just like, you know, they, 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 they lecture people for hours on end about ethics and morality. Don't do this and don't do that and be good and pray and blah, 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 blah. Those people, you know, behave in, in the most despicable ways. I mean, you know, I think that even Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins, who are very famous atheists, you know, would have an issue with the way that they conduct themselves, thinking like, hold on a second, like, where is your morality? When, you know, atheists are supposed to be so amoral that, you know, we the apostate that deserve to, you know, to get to get our heads chopped off because apparently we can't we can't tell a good deed from a bad deed. Those people exist within bad deeds. That's the problem. They're not even good PR agents for their own religion that they claim to believe in. At least do what you say, like do what you claim to believe in. At least do that. But they don't. I don't know if that's a good, good advice because if you actually read what the hadith says to do, it's not actually. I'm, I'm talking good. about I'm talking about morality <laughs> yeah. and ethics. I'm talking yeah, about yeah, the way okay. that you're supposed to conduct it. No, not the. I know, I know. The I'm head. being picky not because head, it's my I job know. to be. <laughs> I know. I'm not talking about the head chopping and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, I'm just talking yes, about you know the morality because they they still claim to this day that you know Islam is, uh, you know, a pillar a pillar for the, the highest moral the highest moral standards. Right. Yes. Wow. Well, yes. Um, you know, you mentioned about like them treating women like commodities, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but in 2017, you mentioned to me that when the mullahs leave Iran and they come to Europe, the first thing they want is girls. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, so, and they want somebody to set it up for them. Mm -hmm. Is that like? Is that okay to talk about? Like I don't. Know. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But it's just like you know, it's not. It's not. I don't think it's a. It's a. It's not a great secret. Everyone knows about it, even within okay. the community. They they apologize and they 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 cover it up as much as possible because um, it's hard for them to kind of you know deal with. But at the same time, they refuse to hold them into account mm. because they, they say, yeah, you, but they are clerics. Did you? Did, were you? Aware of the mullahs like who leave Iran? To, that uh, were you aware of any activities or any secrets that you could share? Well, I wasn't. I wasn't. Made, well, you hear rumors. You hear a lot of rumors. Like, I don't know if they were true, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I mean, me personally, I was approached many times by people. You many, were? Many, yeah. Wow. Oh my god, okay. I was fresh blood. Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> okay, of course. Divorce, oh, yeah. convert. Hey, I, I mean, come on. Yes, you're right. You're but right. I mean, look, listen. It's not because like it's not because I was special or anything. They would literally do it with anyone. So okay. it's just they saw fresh blood and they were thinking, let's just let's just see what happens. Uh, yeah. yeah, they were barking at the wrong tree. So, <laughs> wait, Susanna, you want to say something? You unmuted. Oh, Susanna just froze. So I'm going to ask my question then because Susanna sure. just froze. Do you have your um? You know, I remember when I met you in 2017. You had a necklace, and I just noticed mm -hmm. it right away. Oh uh, no! Zulf no more. Okay, but do you? It was a Zolfakar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, and I mean, it's you know, I'm going to keep it. It's just you know, right. they're just pendants, um, and they were gifts. So yeah, I'm going to keep it, but no. I, to me, I was like so shocked. I've never met anybody like you when I met you in 2017 because you had like 
you had no hijab and you were speaking so like you were talking about like I ran away from Iran and you were talking about Iran as if it's such a great place and you were you had no hijab, you had no hijab and you had the Zulfaqar necklace and I was like this is so interesting <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> well, look, I do you know I, I have actually a lot of time for Iranians. I think it's a, it's a great. Um, I think they're great people, and I think because yeah. I'm French, we have a lot in common. Uh, we kind of get each other. I don't know why, but we just do. Um, and it's just yeah, I I felt I felt at home in Iran. I mean, in terms of the friendship that I had and the people that I met. Um, I'm not going to lie. Iran is, is like any other country. It's not just one thing. You know, it's great many things. And there's many contradictions in Iran that I was fascinated by. But the one thing that I remember uh, is, you know, um, peop- not all people. But, you know, if you take that kind of like uh, the older generation, people are actually really, really well read and quite sophisticated. And I just, it baffled me how a country that could give you know, that has so many intellectuals, what happened? What happened? Um, and it's just that, you know, I, I think it's a great shame. Like the Iranian people have just, it's just a generation lost, you know, decades just wasted um, yeah. serving a, a propaganda machine that is not even standing in defense of their own interest. Because people Iran are... So- is a, Iran could, is it only a good place for people who have a lot a lot of money and also mm-hmm. f- they don't cross red lines right exactly. because i assume if you go back to iran now your experience will be very different <laughs> so like yeah th- to me, that's... I, I, yeah I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen please don't um i mean look if maybe one day like you know we have a different political setup and things are different why not but uh yeah maybe not not right now i think no, i'm just no. like i'm gonna go to israel now <laughs> I've been to Israel. Yeah, have you ever been to Israel? No, but I'm going. Oh my god. I love Jerusalem. I love 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 Jerusalem. It's like his it's like going back in time, you know, not like with the laws. Like if you want to go back in time with laws, you could go to Iran. But if you want to mm-hmm. go back in time but it comes to the architecture and like see like real history like um the old Jerusalem, I could spend mm-hmm. I want to live there if they would have me. But yeah. Oh my God! An atheist in Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm I'm a proud Zionist, by the way. I don't know if you know. How are they join the club? Well, yeah, I'm I'm actually I call myself a responsible Zionist, right? So I I'm a, I'm a Zionist because I defend Israel's right to exist and mm-hmm. also Israel's right to defend itself. Mm-hmm. But I'm a responsible Zionist because I also don't ignore many human rights violations by Israel. And Thank I you. call them out because Thank I you. love Israel, and I oh think my Israel God. Be better. This is my definition of Zionism. Oh, really? <laughs> this ex- yes, because look, I think I think that um, when you hold a system accountable and challenge the abuses that they commit, um, it's it's a positive criticism because you want to advance the conversation and you want to hold them to a higher standard. That comes out of love. Yeah. Not hey, wow. for a desire, not a desire to destroy, and I think that's important. And people don't know to make how to make the difference. It's not because you're critical of a government that it means that you are, you know, you don't like the Jews. That's not true, you know. Uh, and for and I had to learn this because for the longest of time, I think that my criticism 
was actually coming from a desire for them to do better, but they were not showing me that. Um, and, you know, and, and I was ignorant and young and, you know, you, you know, you know, you grow up and then you learn things. Um, but now for me, you know, this is Zionism and I'm not, I'm a secular Zionist too. I, I don't believe in the whole, like, you know, you know, the Messiah is going to come back. I, I'm, not, I'm not waiting. I mean, if they want to wait, that's cool, but I am not. So um, whatever. I'm interested in right now what's going to happen right now. And I think that Israel, you know, definitely can do better. Mm. I also Zionism think was founded will. by an atheist. Zionism it's, was founded exactly, by an atheist. Exactly, but this is why Zionism works, because at, at its very core, it is, a, it is a secular movement for a people's right to go home. Essentially, that's what it is. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with oh. that. There's a place. Speaking of Zionism, Susanna wanted to mention the part of your article that she read about the influence of your daughter on your yeah. Like it would okay, Susanna, you go ahead. I'm I was about to ask her a question. Well, I thought it was very interesting because so you recently had an interview with the Times of Israel where it kind of goes through your journey in different sections, and then it starts yeah. a section called Mea Culpa, and. Yeah. It briefly touches on how you started to change your mind, specifically in terms of Israel, because I've watched coverage from you several years ago talking about genocide of the Palestinian yep. people and um, very heavy criticism. Um, and then it said that your daughter started to watch some Zionist videos on YouTube and she questioned you like about kind of a hypocrisy in terms yep. of your own examination of the issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that started to change your mind. But what really spoke to you? Um, because it doesn't, the article didn't really get into what moved you to change. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I've raised, I, I think it's important that I mentioned that. I raised my kids to think for themselves. Um, and, you know, we have a policy at home where I don't have to agree with what they believe uh, as long as they can back it up and explain it to me. And you know, if we disagree still, then I, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will, we will agree to disagree and I will respect, you know, their belief. I do not want to impose my views onto them. They are their own people. Um, I'm just their mother and I'm there to support. And uh, so I think that my daughter definitely, uh, you, know, uh, you know, did that. And uh, she was very curious because she, I think it was, you know, she, she was growing up and she wanted to understand who she was fully. And she was very curious about her Jewish heritage um, you know, and she started watching, you know, videos um, by Rudy Rochman, who's, uh, you know, a Zionist activist and is, is quite well known. And he's, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> I think he's awesome. He's a great guy. Um, and then, you know, she came one day and tell, you know, told me, look, you're going to, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to listen to this guy and just tell me what you think. But, you know, his arguments are quite compelling. So just watch it. And then as I, I watched one video where Rudy was actually, def, you know, defining his understanding of the word Zionism. Um, and then I heard him having a debate, you know, on the whole Israel-Palestine issue. And the way that he framed it was just so simple, but at the same time, like such an eye-opener where I was thinking he literally kind of deconstructed all the crap, you know, that I was holding on to uh, in my head. And... I just realized I was like, oh my god, um, you know, I, yeah, I'm gonna have to go to to go back and do my homework because uh, it kind of really, really struck a nerve where I could not help my, but you know, but think that he was right and I was like on the wrong side of the fence. 
uh, and that everything that I was I had said so far was basically peddling to um, you know a propagandist narrative as opposed to um, actually speaking the truth and and talking from a place of uh, not just compassion but objectivity. Um, you know, as to why why we are in the situation that we are in with Palestine and, and Israel, even to the point of like, what is Palestine? Um, so, you know, went back and it wasn't easy because, you know, when you realize that you spend years being wrong and being vocally and quite famously wrong, it's not an easy thing to do, but I had to do it. Um, and yeah, so um, yeah, Rudy, it definitely changed my mind. You must be so proud. <laughs> I, well, we had we had a conversation on Facebook, uh, you know, while I was kind of, you know, telling him very briefly, you know, that, you know, I was oh, just saying, thank you. Um, well, I, I, I told I, him that my daughter, you know, stumbled upon his videos and that I was very yeah. grateful of, you know, his work because it kind of changed my mind and, you know, it kind of meant a lot to me. And I just wanted to say, you know, thank you. Um, so we had a very brief little conversation. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't know who I am. Uh, it doesn't matter. But yeah, he's um, he's he's amazing because, look, he's uh he profoundly, profoundly affected my, you know, my worldviews. Maybe I wonder if he's available to come as a guest. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> can I? Can, my daughter would want to be on that podcast. I'm telling you, she <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> adores him. Do you oh. think it was comforting to you to see someone speak in such strong defense of a Jewish identity and Jewish existence? given yeah. all of the just derision you experienced over several years? Yes. And and he spoke, uh, Rudy spoke also of, you know, the kind of trauma and the, the issues surrounding, you know, identity um, and the Jewish community. And I suddenly realized that I wasn't alone um, and that, you know, what my trauma was shared by other people, maybe not, did not manifest in the same way that it did with me, but it was a real thing. And you it's comforting because when you can put an, a word on a trauma or, you know, a kind of um, uneasiness about who you are, um, it, it really helps to put it in perspective. And you're thinking, OK, so now that I can I know what it is, I can go about and dealing with it um, and kind of healing. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was completely transformative. I mean, he's a. Uh, I mean, I, he's, you know, he's, he's a young man, but I think he's so profoundly touched people's lives because he's, he's coming from a very, you know, he's, he's very authentic. And I think that that speaks to his character. Um, and he's, he's honest enough to actually do his homework. So he's not, he's not speaking from a place of, of ignorance as I was. Um, mm. So, yeah, he's, for me, he's, he's quite an incredible, incredible spokesperson, you know, for uh, not just for Israel, but for the Jewish people around the world. Yes, his he speaks a lot about the pride he has from being Jewish and mm -hmm. the strength that it lends him to draw upon lessons of his people's history and like yeah, the but pride I tell he you, has for being else. like a warrior for his people. That must have been so such a contrast yeah. to your experience. Why? It's because you know when you see someone standing so strong in the identity, when yourself, you know, you 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 kind of like you know you you hate yourself so much because of it. You know, he kind of lends that strength and kind of like pass it on to other people. Um, and it's, it's um, you know, he's very, very generous that way. I, I don't know if he realizes, you know, if, if he gets what is it that he's projecting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite special. I mean, if I would challenge that. I mean, I don't want to challenge it here because I have other questions, but I would challenge 
um, seeing pride in one's ethnicity. Like, I think, like, one should not see shame or pride in their ethnicity. I think everybody should see pride in the things that they have done. I, I agree. The things that they're born with. Yeah. yeah. Now, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I think that, you know, with the Jewish community, it's complicated because we've been shut on for so long that, you know, before we can get to the place where we're just okay with doing things and taking pride into that, we need to address you know, um, the anti-Semitism that is not allowing us to exist like anyone else. Like we feel that we're living in reaction of other people's hatred. And so the reaction is in the self-defense mechanism is to stand proudly in who we are. And then hopefully the next conversation would be that to be okay with being who we are without feeling the need to have this Jewish label attached to us, you know, well, that, ultimately. But I, it's, it's, I, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, I think like I think one could take pride in not giving into that shame, right? Like one yeah. can take pride into fighting anti-Semitism, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, mm-hmm. like the way I see it, like instead of being proud that you're gay, one could be proud that they're openly gay. Because being gay, they didn't have much say in it, but being openly gay, yeah, they did have a say in being open about it, right? So you could someone could be proud that they're like fight like they're a Jew and they're not ashamed of it. That you could be proud of that because you didn't let um, or not. Well, I mean, or also fighting against the shit, fighting against the hate. You know, I'm a Jew. I'm open. I'm open about being a Jew because I want to make sure that um, I'm standing with this community that is being attacked. Like my mm-hmm. Jewish identity is important not because I'm making it important. It's important because they have made it a target. So it has become important, not by choice. It has become important because other people are using this identity as a way to uh, demonize us and attack us. So, like that way, I, I, I like to look. At, I mean, I don't know. I'm. I'm, I'm no, no, I like you. that. I like that. Yeah. I, yeah. No, no, I like. I like that. I like the way that you're listening. I think it's interesting. Yeah. 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 You know, the thing is, I think is because maybe I'm a bit too close to the to the problem. Like you have a, you know, you could see this from like a kind of a remote place. So yeah, the, your perspective is different. Um, you know, sometimes I'm when just you worried about backfiring. Kind of I'm just, I'm just worried about when people, when a gr- identity is attacked, mm-hmm. um, usually when you, when they turn that identity as a weapon to attack back, mm-hmm. then it swings back into another forms of hatred. True. And I see that between True. Persian and Arabs a lot, right? Like in throughout mm-hmm. history, right? So that's what I'm afraid of. I'm like, um, not overdoing it's- it. Yeah. Yeah, and I get it. I get, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, it is a risk. I mean, you could you could become the monster that you're trying to fight. Exactly. Mm. Um, so this is a completely different. I have to ask this because if I don't, people will crucify me. Um, what makes you think nuclear? Uh, I mean, what makes you? I mean, actually, I want to know this myself very badly because what makes you think that Iran? I agree with you. I just want to know how you came to this conclusion. Um, that they want nuclear weapons, that they don't just want nuclear power, but they actually want nuclear weapons. Uh, it, 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 it was a Netanyahu cartoon, by the way, so that wasn't that. that <laughs> just say. But um, it was a good cartoon, but that didn't do it for me. Um, it's just, it's, it's, look, it's, it's just the behavior. Here's the thing. I, 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 I know now, do you know when the regime speaks in Iran? Because I've, I was familiar to, um, you know, the whole setup and, um, the narrative 
I can read between the lines. So I know when I know when they say, you know, sometimes very often they say something, they mean something else. And um, if you hang out with them long enough, you kind of learn to read between the lines. OK. Um, and then you also have you kind know, of conversation with people who are not necessarily necessarily close to the regime, but part of the, you know, the, the religious authorities, you know, who do have opinions and then people talk. And so you hear little whispers and. You can see the behavior as well. I mean, look, Iran um, is very comfortable in in saying something and doing something completely opposite. And, you know, they don't feel like there's any kind of like hypocrisy going on. Or that it's like counterintuitive. No, they're quite happy to just go about doing that, saying one thing, doing another and justifying it. Um, when it comes to the nuclear weapon, look, the, the nuclear deal at the very beginning when, you know, when it was signed, I was, you know, I felt really hopeful because I was thinking, great, now Iran's going to rejoin the international fold. And, you know, um, the best way to kind of diffuse radicalism and fascism is to actually, you know, have open lines of communication and try to diffuse it that way through, you know, um, you know, close contact with other countries. And hopefully, you know, democratic principles will kind of rub on other people and things like that and maybe open Iranians to another way of being and doing things that maybe that would force reforms. Those were my wishes, <laughs> okay? Uh, now it clearly went a different way uh, because you can tell that, you know, the second that Trump, you know, decided to renege on, on, on the treaty and people will say that Iran, you know, reacted in, a, in accordance to what Trump did first. Um, but I don't believe that's true. I think they were waiting for an opportunity to carry on, you know, pursuing their nuclear ambition. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they have regional ambition, you know, against Saudi Arabia. Um, and that in their mind, and it's quite, if you think about it, it's very logical. Should If you look at countries like North Korea, for example, because they have nuclear weapons, you know, um, countries such as the US will go only as far, you know, in their criticism. They are not slapped with a million sanctions. They are not being dragged in the mud in the media because they could retaliate. So there's kind of a status quo that is kind of like there, and there's an unspoken fear, and then nobody kind of like, you know, shakes the house too much. Now, well, with I mean, Iran, they are sanctioned, but they would never be attacked. But Iran still has the possibility of one day being attacked. Exactly. Unless they have the nuke. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that Iran is, wants to, to, you know, have, you know, to obtain a nuclear bomb so that they could basically you know, uh, blackmail their way out of sanctions and maybe kind of like, you know, uh, return back to a point where they're not, you know, they're not, they're, their people are not suffocated. Because you need to understand as well that Iranians are, you know, situation, you know, is so dire economically that, you know, officials within the regime are very well aware of the fact that, you know, one day soon, those people might just go back to the streets and this time it would be the big one. Um, they've done it with the Shah, they could do it again. Uh, and I think there's a fear that should they be strangled too much, they would take to the street and that time the government would not be able to to kind of like, you know, handle the situation and, and force people to go back home and be quiet. So I think that should they have, you know, the, a nuclear weapon, they could blackmail their way out of the sanctions, at least the one that are really strangling the country, um, you know, and then also project, you know, bigger influence into the region and hopefully have a greater standing. So. There's, there's a lot of reason why they would want to get a, nu a nuclear weapon. You know, I don't believe for a second that just because Ayatollah Khamenei said that he wouldn't never do that, that that is true. That's wishful thinking. 
Um, and I think that there's a way around that. There's an Islamic way around that. Would you? Uh, Of course. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's takiyo or something. No, no, no. Uh, No, it's like, no, no, no. You don't have to. He doesn't have to have lied. What it is, is like in Islam. So, for example, eating pig is haram in Islam, right? You can't eat pig unless you're dying. Oh, I see. Right. So if the if if even you could change the word of even like a commandment from Allah, right? Like the verse from Allah could be changed in case your life is at risk. So mm-hmm. What is of course uh, something that comes from Khamenei? If it's the matter of life and death, of course you could undo that. Like when, when you can change, you know. So the rules apply unless it's a matter of life and death. So mm-hmm. Khamenei's word wouldn't apply anymore. Exactly. Um, if they could justify that we need nukes because it's a matter of life and death right now. So that's the loophole that you could get out of it. Well, there you go. But I mean, look, uh, ever since, you know, Trump reneged on, on the treaty, they have done everything they can to kind of, um, you know, get there. So that's not really telling you that, you know, they're not interested. Because what would you do if you're not interested? So what are you doing? I mean, right. we have leaked audio of Fakhri Zadeh. Like, we know that Fakhri Zadeh was um, involved in trying to get nuclear um, weapons throughout the negotiation before Trump, like, during the entire negotiation. So this is like, so your intuitions were, were correct. Well, it's not even intuition. I think that our default, the default setting that we should have is to, 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 to believe that they are working towards getting the nuclear weapons. And if we are wrong, fantastic. But, um, you know, if they're not right. doing it, but should they do it, do you really want to be the guy that didn't plan for it? Exactly. Can we afford would... to not plan for it or assume the yeah. worst and hope for the best? Uh, it, it would be it would be insanity. I mean, you don't yeah, just like, wait for something to blow up somewhere in the world to say, like, oops. Catherine, can you imagine a world where is the Islamic Republic of Iran no. has nukes? No. It's horrifying. That is just like that. No. That... No. That is insane. No, I, I can't because um, as much as I know that North Korea would not use their, you know, their weapons, as much as I know that Russia would not because we're talking about a rational, I mean, even in North Korea, there's a, there's a degree of rationality in that the ideology is not rooted in religion. Okay, so we're talking just like, you know, just full-on dictatorship, but very secular. Uh, what worries me is that what if one day someone decide that you know he heard the voices, the voices, the voice of God, you know, telling him that he should blow up Tel Aviv? Then what do we do? So, so the way I look at it is like you know how many people are now worried about like uh, Putin taking us to World War Three and nukes flying, right? Like if the chances of that is half a percent, that's very high. Half a percent mm-hmm. for that happening, mm-hmm. for like you know the end of the civilization as we know it, that's too high. But if it mm-hmm. was with if the, we had the same situation that we have right now with Putin, if we had it with Islamic Republic of Iran, it, instead of half a percent, it would be three one and a half percent. It's still like they. I mean, they're still not suicidal. They still like probably wouldn't use the nukes. But that it will still be much higher. Like as as scared as the world is right now, they would be. They should be a lot more scared if the Islamic Republic because it's ideology, right? I, mean, I know. You know. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. That's yeah. the thing that that worries me. Is not we're not talking. We're not dealing with any other country where you you know you have means and ways you know in which to engage and, and discuss and find some political common ground. We're talking about a religious ideology that gave birth to a political system. 
Right. And also look at the message that we're sending to the Iranian officials, like the people who look at governments who gave up their, you know, weapons of, you know, mass destruction. Like look at Ukraine gave up its nuke. Look what happens mm -hmm. happening to them. Look at Gaddafi, he gave up his weapons. Look what happened to him, right? Um, and look how people are treating Putin. Like all the world powers are going out of their way to make sure that they don't get into direct conflict. Like they are so adamant so everybody is so extremely sensitive to make sure there is not a single direct confrontation between any nato uh, forces and mm. putin's forces they were like mm. look this is it's like a superpower like if we just have nukes everybody would go out of their way to not engage with us like it's amazing and i don't think at that point they would even care much about the sanctions because it's not like they care about the iranian people like they become they yeah, but become they need political. but they need the Iranian people to uh, to stay quiet enough so that they could look in any in any power setup. Mm. You know, um, you know they have this saying in, in in France. You know, vox populi, vox dei. The voice of the people is the voice of God. Meaning that if you don't have some tacit agreement from the people to give up their power, you know, in favor of any particular government or system of regime for them to rule over them. Um, then, you know, the, the minority in power cannot exist. So Iran okay, needs, the regime needs the people to some degree allow them okay. to continue to oppress them. I agree, but to a lesser degree if they have nukes, because... Um, True. A, True. Lot of, a, lot of, a lot of what holds back the Islamic Republic of Iran on going on, like, I mean, they oppress their people, but I think they would oppress them even more or, or if they weren't afraid of the international community. I think nukes would make the open their hands to silent to silence dissent to an even more extreme level, mm. knowing that they're immune from a reaction from the world. Mm. They would just go medieval, like even more than they are right now on their own people. But I, I can you imagine? That. Can you imagine what that would mean for the region? Because you know, if you think for a second that Saudi Arabia would living next door would be okay with Iran getting nuclear power, like dream on. Or dream Israel. On. It, Israel would not Israel would not be okay. No, Israel no. Would not but that, that's yeah. a given. I mean, no, no. Israel, Israel would not let it happen. Like, let's just be clear. That's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. the Israelis are not, they're not going to, they, they're not going to let that I, one go. But what I'm saying is that in, in so. you know, if, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they would, they, I mean, for real, there were some spies, you know, not me, but like, you know, someone else, someone better. Me, um, I, Mossad. You have my there you go. Right? He's like he's <laughs> signing up for it. <laughs> um, look, but you know, can you imagine like what that would mean? Because the whole region would explode. Because obviously, you know, Saudi Arabia, which is not a small country. I mean, people people criticize Mohammed bin Salman a lot, but he's not a stupid person. Um, you know, of course, mm. he he doesn't want no, 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 no. Um, okay, we have to. Uh, like, well, look, um, okay. I think he understands power. This is what I'm going to say. He understands how power works. I'm not talking about, you know, whether he's educated, sophisticated, that's beside the point. The point, he understands power and that's, he's good at it. You know, I would argue that another it. day with you because I completely disagree with you on this. But That's I'll cool. You could change my mind too about that one. But look, um, <laughs> the point is, I think he realized, like he knows that he would, look, they're one of the reasons I believe why Saudi Arabia decided now to, you know, befriend Israel and vice versa is because they understand that you know, whatever little spat they have in between them has not, is nothing in comparison to the danger that Iran represents in the region. And that together, 
they could, you know, they would be a greater force, you know, um, you know, against that threat. Because that threat is like immediate and real. And we're talking nuclear threat. We're not talking, you know, um, a few Bedouin in the desert coming at you with swords. You know, we're talking the actual weapons of mass destruction. Not the one that Saddam Hussein didn't have. Actual weapons of mass destruction. So I, I think I think there's a clear understanding now in the Middle East um, that Israel is not the enemy, uh, that they need to let go of you know whatever upset they had, um, and you know stop holding on to this whole you know lunacy that Israel's going to disappear again, um, and that you know they need to move on with the times and actually um, understand what threats are now in the region immediate. And you know, threatening their very survival. And I think that they're quite clear on that. There's a reason why suddenly in the Middle East everybody wants is okay, you know, with Israel. That you know, the UAE did it, Saudi Arabia did it. I mean, look, it's you know, it's um, it's a trend now. So there's a reason for it. Because, and I think it's Iran. because nobody other than the Islamic Republic has ambitions of expansion of their empire, right? Like everybody else true. is, everybody else is playing defense. And yeah. the Islamic Republic is just trying to like bring back, uh, depending on who they're speaking to, either like their nationalists or the religious people, they're either bringing back the Sassanid Empire um, or the Safavid Empire, depending on whether they're talking um, to religious people or nationalists, right? Like, yeah. So. That, well, the, one, the, the idea is scary, seriously. Like, that's yeah. one thing I found very interesting about your writings is because one thing that's very consistent, no matter what period of your life you've been in throughout your writings is you talk about your own personal um, value that you place upon self-determination. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because then when you write about your own, you can sense that there's this conflict within you because you're very firm about the right to self-determination, even if it's with, you know, ideologies that you're firmly opposed to. Um, mm -hmm. But there's this contention because you're still, I, you can sense that you're still very aware of Iran's expansionist um, ideals and yeah. aspirations. Yeah. And you try to reconcile that. And mm. you try to ask other people in the regime, how do they reconcile that? And what answer did you land upon? I didn't get an answer. They were always, it was always, we're acting in self-defense. We want to help liberate uh, which is often the weapon used by the oppressor. Uh, and they didn't have a, a clear answer to, to offer me. And, and I wrestled with that because, you know, the, the way I looked upon the Islamic revolution initially is that it was the will of the people in motion. And um, I didn't have to like Ayatollah, you know, Khomeini's system to support the people. Um, and I think to this day, I still think that it was a popular movement, but I don't think they knew what they were getting themselves into. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was just a, a purely, um, you know, reactionary movement to um, to the Shah oppression. Um, I, I don't think he played his card very well, but you know that that's another conversation. Um, but yeah, but when I when you go to Iran and you witness the kind of um, you know the fear that they have of intelligence services and you know SEPA and all the rest of it, you know, like should they talk? Should they you know make the wrong phone call or whatever? It kind of makes you think that you know for for a society that claims to be so open and you know, wants to liberate other people, like, you know, what, you know, your own people don't feel that they are liberated. You know, if anything, they feel that they're very much oppressed. Um, so it kind of raises a lot of questions. And again, I come from a very secular background. I'm Western. Um, I know what democracy looks like and what freedom looks like. So it's difficult, you know, for anyone to, to tell me that, you know, this is freedom of expression when everything is being censored in the media. 
and you know and you kind of catch on to it very quickly. Speaking of democracy in Iran, mm. one thing I found very interesting that I have to ask you about. So I'm going to read a short section from um, your blog that you wrote in November 2021 about um, your experience there. So it says you're talking about the now president, Ibrahim Raisi, for context mm -hmm. for those who are not aware. And you interviewed him at the time, not the previous election cycle that he just won, but the election cycle before the mm -hmm. last one that he lost to then president Rouhani, mm -hmm. but you had some foreshadowing. So you say in your article, a Lord of Iran, Raisi's ascendancy, ascendance to the presidency had long been foreseen and maybe more to the point architected. I was told by his entourage, quote, this is all a part of Tehran's plan. Raisi will lose those elections. And in four years, he run, he runs again and he will win. He is Tehran's candidate. It's better for Tehran to have someone like Raisi on its side anyway, because if he wanted to help, if he wanted to, he could make things very difficult indeed, end quote. Those were the remarks a cleric close to Raisi shared with me on our journey back to Tehran from the neighboring city while on the campaign trail. So mm -hmm. you had a regime prophecy in a way, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that is exactly what came to pass. And yeah. I'm curious if you have any other regime prophecies. No, unfortunately. Uh, but I know, I know that is that there is great fear. Um, many, many people in Iran believe, and this is this is also my belief, um, that should Ayatollah Khamenei, you know, pass away or should he leave uh, office, um, there is no one to replace him. There will be a massive vacuum of power. The reason being. Um, you know, I think that, you know, people like Ayatollah Khomeini and people like Ayatollah Khamenei are kind of cut in the same cloth. Um, they speak of a long, you know, um, an old era, you know, something that, you know, is um, for, the, for the history books um, and that there is no real place for it today in, in modern times. And I think that, you know, the, there's a great fear that should he go, um, there is no one to kind of like take the reins of power and, and be able to mobilize that, you know, the support needed uh, to continue on this, you know, this Islamic Republic project. Um, so you think you're event... panicking? Oh, 100%. Yeah, oh. But look, you know, power, even, even though power is, is being, you know, held in the hand of a few, it's, it's very much fragmented, you know, you know, within all the different, like, factions who are battling for power, even, even though they're happy with the regime, the way that it's set up, um, there's no real consensus. And the fear is... Um, that should that particular, you know, this figurehead go away because he still he can still kind of conjure up enough support um, or call it fear, whatever it is, respect, you know, authority, charisma to kind of hold this whole puzzle into place. Um, so and there's a great fear that should he go, it's going to crumble away. By the way, the same thing happened in Yemen. When yeah. Ali Abdullah Saleh left, everything crumbled away because he was the one you know, he was the one, not common denominator, but the one figure who had enough charisma and understanding of, you know, all the factions dynamics that he could play them against one another to kind of maintain a sense of, you know, stability. And I think that that's what scares Iran uh, regime right now. I In have a mind, hypothesis. I have a hypothesis about all of this. I want to run it by you. Okay, I have no idea if this is correct. This is just my guess. Okay. 
my guess is that based on your what you're saying, um, Racy's presidency had nothing to do with people voting. It was pre-planned. The whole democracy is just like a show. Like the election mm -hmm. doesn't really matter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. So my my and this is what we all assumed. Um. But um, my assumption is that the office of the supreme leader, right? They are they enjoy their power right now. Okay. So they want to make sure, that, like the, the the supreme the power of the supreme leader is not just the supreme leader because there's too many things to control. There's too many eyes that have to see. I think the office, like I don't know if you compare Khamenei's office, supreme leader, uh, leader office, compared to Khomeini's, it has become a, 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 a like a huge monster with so many people with a lot of power. Like so, it's um, and I think they want to maintain that power. And when Khamenei is gone, there's only two options right now. It's either Raisi, who's going to be the supreme leader, or Mushtaba Khamenei, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what the what the, what office, the office of the supreme leader sees um, in Raisi is somebody that can be controlled, somebody who's passive. Mushtaba Khamenei is somebody who's aggressive, uh, who's a hawkish, who wants to, who's intimidating, who goes after people. But Racy is just somebody who signs everything you put in front of him. And this presidency is just like a run through of like just making sure he's loyal. And if they, if he becomes the supreme leader, the people who have gained all the power around Khamenei, they will just be able to use him as a puppet while they maintain their control. That's mm -hmm. my story that I come up with. I don't know how. How accurate do you think that could be? But do you, but do you have any? It's, it's definitely. I, I think it's a very possible scenario. You know, this is it's complicated. It's Iran. It's very hard to tell, like you know, what it is that they want or what they think. But yeah, it definitely is possible. Um, and yeah, it would make sense. But there's also, I mean, you know, Raisi is also very powerful. He, he, I mean, he was running Mashhad, which is not, you know, it's 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 the, uh, I would say, the second capital in Iran. So he was a very powerful man with many means. So if he had wanted to be disloyal, he could have been. Um, so I think there's a there's a need also to kind of appease him, uh, and I don't think he's as easy as people make him out to be. Um, he's very passive. I don't know if you if it he's, doesn't if mean that he's not very him. ambitious. I mean, a lot of people sometimes bide their time, uh, you know, and play the game because you know they have their eyes on the prize. I, you know, to to do what he's done and to reach the office that he reached, you need some like hardcore ambition. It's Especially in Iran, because you have to maneuver some, you know, serious. Or just pure loyalty, or just pure loyalty. No, do you know what? I I refuse to think that anyone that is that goes so high up in the regime is not very well aware of the hypocrisy that runs throughout this whole ideology. Um, oh, he's just, aware, but he just goes with it. He's agrees. He was in charge of. Yeah, killing but then it can't be. Bunch. I don't think it, it, it can't be out of loyalty. It's I think it's self-serving. There's a difference. Mm. I think that well, you know yeah. it's it's benefiting him, and so he's loyal to himself, and that that particular system serves him. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Susanna, you wanted to say something? I was curious about. So obviously, you were you know rubbing elbows around people surrounded by Racy, and you spoke to him yourself. But I'm curious about if you got any insight or were surrounded in any circles um, associated with Mushtaba Khamenei. No. Oh, okay. oh, he's a dark, no. he's a shadowy um, figure. No, or uh, do you know what? If if I met with people who were close to him, they didn't tell me. So hmm. I don't know. 
Okay, I want to ask one last question because we took so much of your time. But before I ask this last question, you promise to come back here when you have your book? 100%. Even before, like, you guys, if before? you want me to kind of, like, yeah, if you, if you want someone to kind of lay into, like, you know, religious people, call me up. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe you have to do. Maybe we could talk about actually, other things. Yeah. Actually, do you know my son? My, my son is studying philosophy uh, and he's a, a very, very eloquent atheist. And he's really good at debate. And I think you should invite him. Because really? he would he would slay the room for you. He's like he's uh I mean he got nothing on me. I mean he, I would not debate my son. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I would not good. debate That's... that boy. He's like look, he's he would be amazing, and I think like uh yeah, I mean he could hold his own against you know quite a few people. Um, so yeah. Okay, that's I mean, good. if that, if that's... you wanna if you wanna do like a little family affair type of thing and have my son on, yeah, I think it would be fun. I think he would do a lot better than me, if I'm honest. Okay, okay, all right, sounds good. Um, okay, so this question is like completely changes gear, but I do have to ask this one. Um, you know, do you feel like they lied to you when they told you because they wanted to have this Western woman? spreading their propaganda right so in january 2020 uh, what happened was that uh, iran attacked the u.s base in iraq the anal Assad air base right um and they basically they told you that they managed to kill 100 u.s soldiers mm -hmm. in that in that attack right mm -hmm. um and you put it that in your article and it was used as a source do you believe yeah. right now that there were hundreds of U.S. soldiers were killed in that attack? I don't know. And I, I don't think it's even relevant, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, I mean, I hope not. Because, you know, 100 lives lost is, is a tragedy. Um, but I, I, you know, in the context of, of things, it's possible whether it happened or not. Even the U.S. government will not admit to it anyway. Uh, but it made sense for Iran to claim that it did. So it's, it's a game, you know, of propaganda. Yes, yeah, it, it just it just became relevant just yesterday because they did it again and they claim like they just um, missiles came out of Iran. IRGC is claiming that it was them attacking Erbil in Iraq, the Kurdistan part of Iraq, and now people on one side are saying nobody died, and the Iran side they have a list of the people who died, right? And I think this is this is this shows how. It goes into their entire philosophy, like it's a it's a huge t representation of what they do. Is like they want to look strong inside, but they also want to signal to the other side that we actually didn't kill anybody, so please don't come at us. But let us tell everybody inside that we hold, we killed a whole mm. bunch of your people, mm, mm. Um, and and the other side is also motivated not to correct it because. If they were like, actually, like, here's the evidence that you didn't kill any of us, then you're forcing the Islamic Republic hand to actually go and kill somebody just so that they could look strong internally. Because a lot of mm. people, I think this is a sign of divide between the hardliners. Because of a lot, a lot of the hardliners are upset with the powers who, uh, because at B, because they didn't get revenge from Qasem Soleimani, right? Um, so to me, this shows that there's a division happening. And to satisfy them, they have to pretend like they're getting the revenge yeah. that, you know, that they, yeah. and I think but, they might have used, yeah. 
Yeah. Did you recall, um, do you know, when General Soleimani was, um, was killed? Within, I think it was about within an hour, uh, you know, Twitter exploded, obviously. Uh, and I remember reading a tweet that it directly came from um, the Islamic Republic camp um, saying we're going to target, we're going to annihilate Israel. Those are the targets on the list. You had Tel Aviv, Haifa, Jerusalem, I mean, all, you know, Ashdod, all the cities. Um, do you know how Israel responded? It was a direct threat on social media. Did you know how they respond? No response. They said nothing. Yeah. Because they knew, I mean, I, I, I was thinking like, oh my God, that's it, that they're going to, because they, I mean, they do that, nuclear weapons will fly, <laughs> because like, yeah, this yeah. is not happening. Israel said nothing. Yeah. Because I think Israel actually understand the whole, you know, they understand that it was just political posturing, that they had to, because someone had to, you know, to say, oh, look what we've done, we've threatened them and da da da, uh, and to kind of appease, you know, people, reaction. Internally. Because I mean, Soleimani was very, very popular. Yes. It's, it's yeah, but of, let, let's, just, let's just be clear about something, though. Like, you know that Trump might have killed him, but they give him up. Let's just be clear about that one. Yeah. Okay. They put him out they, there first. How do, you, how do you say it? What makes you say that? Oh, people, because of the, of the, the, the reaction, people, a lot of people had uh, many problems with Soleimani because he was, number one, very, very close to Ayatollah Khamenei. Um, he gave him a lot of clout. A lot of people were unhappy with him because he was in you know, in talks with the American, in talks with a lot of people. Um, and he became a very, very powerful figure and he wasn't playing into any political agenda. He was a military man. Uh, he wasn't playing any political games. And I think that because he could not be manipulated, um, right. people wanted to get rid of him. He's, um, he was becoming like too good at what he was doing. He was becoming too powerful and he was even close to Rafsin journey, which was like not a big no-no. Like he wasn't playing, like he was not taking a side. So that was no, like, he wasn't. He wasn't. But people yeah. say that he was in the pocket of Russia. Well, not pocket, but under their control. Yes, that's what people say. Many that, things. I mean, you know, it's it, they have this thing in Iran. Was like it doesn't matter who you are. If you reach any any level of notoriety, they will assign you a handler. So you know they have their pick. It could be Israel, it could be Russia, it could be anyone. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he was just his own man. Hmm. What I find very interesting is in this article you wrote in Citizen Truth about this um, claim that that Iran is claiming that they cl killed 100 Americans in the uh, attack on Iraq in retaliation for the death of. Soleimani, that it says Citizen Truth was given exclusive access this Thursday to an official statement issued by the office of Ayatollah Khamenei, etc. So that was in January 2020. And then mm -hmm. you message Armin in June of 2020 about how you've left and you're an atheist now and your mind has yeah. changed, all, yeah. um, this sort of thing. So back in January, were you still... Um, kind of sympathetic and still had no. this change no. attitude or you just had the connections and you were taking it. I just had the connection and I was using the connection. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, by, by then, I mean, for like for a few years, I wasn't, I wasn't playing into the narrative. Now, will I stop writing and reporting and giving my analysis? Of course not. I mean, I have access to countries and I have knowledge and expertise on, you know, region of the world. That doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You, you are you going to become a family of analysts because you seem like uh, you seem like you have a whole uh, 
you, well, all your children are into philosophy and politics. They have opinions. <laughs> I've raised them to be uh, very opinionated, and I'm I'm glad yeah. that they are. I mean, they they will do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, I just you know, uh, my daughter wants to join the IDF, but here goes. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> she's like she's she's definitely like she's a proper Zio. I mean she's I mean actually we have a kitten at home who's called Zion, so there you go. Mm. So has she been to Israel? No, not yet, but we're going. Okay, you're going together, all of you? Mm, definitely. By the whole, yeah, okay. we're making it a family thing. Come on. That's good. It's like the I return of the prodigal, see. you know, the prodigal family. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your impressions. I had. Uh, yeah, was, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah, it should be fun. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'm, we took, you were very generous with your time. So I'm just going to end this here. Is there anything like you want to mention to people to go come check you out, like a website or books or Twitter channel, Twitter podcast? I mean, I look, you, if they want, um, if they want to find me, I'm on Twitter. You know, if, if they have, you know, they have questions, I mean, they can reach out to me on Twitter. I mean, I, you know, I check it regularly. Um, okay. What is your handle on Twitter? Uh, it's um, I can't even remember. Shagdam C. Okay. okay. Um, I'll link. Yeah, I'll link it in the yeah, yeah, video. sure, sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, the only thing that I would tell people is that uh, you know, do your research, do your research, and don't believe everything that you read online or that you know you hear. Um, it's just it's it's always a lot easier if you kind of cross check and listen to both sides of the story and then you know make up your mind, but. Yeah, don't 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 do what I do. Don't don't fall for that crap. Well, I mean, you did great. You 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 rethought everything that you believed in. I think you, they should do what you did. <laughs> People should re-examine. Well, yeah, but maybe not. Yeah, maybe don't become a tool for like you know the Iranian regime for several years. I mean, you know, and, or like <laughs> or defend or defend Hamas and Hezbollah. Maybe don't do that. Um, okay. You know. So it's just like, you know, for example, do you know when Gigi, I think was it Gigi Hadid or Bella Hadid that, you know, came in defense of, of Hamas and the Palestinian? Um, I genuinely felt sorry for her because I'm thinking, well, there you go. This is how it works. You know, um, it's just people out of a sense of, you know, compassion for, you know, um, the victimization of, of, of certain people and the deaths of civilians felt that she has to, to speak against, I mean, in defense of, and she ended up speaking against you know, the Israeli government and the Jewish people in general, uh, because her voice was hijacked and, you know, um, kind of manipulated by powers that she doesn't understand. And she, she got a lot of, you know, she, she had a lot of heat because of it. Uh, those things happen all the time. And I think we need to address, rather than criticize people for falling for the propaganda, I think we need to make sure that it doesn't happen. That you know, people are educated in a way that it cannot happen again. That we can't have, you know, because you have good intention in trying to do what's right and speak, you know, speak for people. Like your words being, you know, are being hijacked and then fall into this machine. It's dangerous. It could happen to anybody. Yeah, but but even if they do fall for it, and we could encourage do, them to do what you did to always consider that you might be wrong. Mm -hmm. Like even now. Yeah. But they could speak to I'm you. Like, <laughs> they could speak to you. Yeah. <laughs> you change their mind. <laughs> no, I mean, I still consider reconsider. I sometimes wake up and think about like, what if everything I believe in is a lie, and I have to reevaluate everything from scratch. But so it's like, good. Go Do you know what? It's a sign of intelligence. It's, it's a sign of integrity as well, intellectually, that you're willing to put yourself on the line and rethink everything that you are 
for the sake of seeking the truth. It's it's a good it's a good thing. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, this was an honor. So thank you. Um, and I'm gonna stop the recording right now. Thank you, Catherine. Oh, you're welcome, you. you guys. That was fun. They're gonna hate me more now. <laughs> <laughs> they should.